On this episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I speak with Mark Clark, Chief Executive Officer at Generations for Peace, about his work empowering youth leaders to reduce conflict and violence around the world. Um, We're operating in a very fast-changing environment, whether it locally or globally, and so we all have to have that hunger to learn, and we need to encourage that learning culture um, in our team and to support the learning and development of our staff and our volunteers. That's critical because if you're not learning, if you're standing still, then you're dead. Welcome to the Nonprofit Ready Podcast. Conversations with accomplished professionals from across the nonprofit sector about what they do, why they do it, and how they make change happen. I'm your host, Justin Waddell from nonprofitready.org and the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Mark Clark, CEO of Generations for Peace, a global nonprofit working for sustainable peace in local communities through sport, art, advocacy, dialogue, and empowerment. We're speaking to Mark from his offices in Amman, Jordan. Mark, thanks for being with us on the Nonprofit Ready Podcast. My pleasure, Justin. Yeah, this is, I'm proud to say, our very first international podcast. So you are a privileged guest, and uh, I'm eager to see and learn more about your organization. And that might be the best place to start. Could you uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about Generations for Peace? Sure. Well, now I'm, I'm feeling particularly privileged to be the, the first international um, participant. We are a, a Jordan-based international nonprofit peace-building organization. So our, our headquarters is in Jordan, but we support really a volunteer movement. So youth volunteers working in communities now in 50 countries, uh, supported by our headquarters team in Jordan. So our volunteers are across the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and parts of Europe. And we're supporting them because they are all passionate about changing some issue of conflict and violence in their local community. So we're really focused on very grassroots community actions uh, to shift attitudes and behavior, to reduce violence, and to support communities to find answers and solutions to problems that they themselves have prioritized. That is awesome. And I'm going to be really interested to kind of unpack what it's been like to grow as an organization so fast and focus on sustainability and impact. Uh, But first, could you tell me a little bit more about how you actually came to be involved with Generations for Peace? Yeah, um, a a very roundabout route. I I used to be a corporate lawyer and uh, also served in the the British Army. But um, since 2003, I've been working in international development and gradually more and more in the, in the peace building or conflict transformation end of the, the development spectrum. Now, I know a few corporate lawyers, and they have not chosen international development as their path and never had that epiphany. What caused you to shift gears and make your way into the sector? Yeah, that's a, I, I guess what's interesting about nonprofit work is people do come to it from so many different directions. And I think they bring... Um, lots of different skills and experiences that can be really valuable from whatever sector they've they've come from. Um, for me, I, I still draw upon my my legal experience um, in so many ways. But I, I think I had reached the point where I I had the greatest respect for for my colleagues, and I was working in a great firm. But I really was looking for something um, that I felt to be more worthwhile. And with my role at Generations for Peace, I think that the great thing about it is it combines different things that I'm really passionate about, sort of supporting change 
within organizations, within people as individuals, and within communities. And that's really what Generations for Peace is doing um, all around the world. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about those responsibilities of yours. How would you describe your job to other people who work in the development sector? Um, I I guess in some ways, um, with a a job title like Chief Executive Officer, some of it's pretty obvious, uh, sort of leading leading an organization with a a senior management team and reporting to the board. Um, I guess day by day, it's about... Um, providing direction and motivation and really trying to trying to ensure all our energy is being focused on the right things. I think it's also about supporting development of our people, and that's both our, both our staff and our volunteers, and the development of our programs and our research and really the, the overall capacity development of the organization. And that's very much a, a team effort. So I think I'd also describe my job as a, as a really an unbelievable privilege to be part of such an incredible team, such a diverse team of extraordinary people, and together to share this amazing freedom we've got to build an organization that we can all feel proud of. Did you and your team have any idea that your growth would be this stratospheric? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I think even... When I joined Generations for Peace um, almost five years ago now, uh, the organization was not quite four years old. Um, it had already achieved really, really impressive rapid growth uh, to have volunteers and programs in about 30 countries at that time. Um, but it, in some ways, it had reached the end of its first phase of evolution, and it needed some more structure to support the future growth and expansion as an organization. And, and so that's where you know, we've been focused um, for the last four years, five years, is really building on those early successes, um, the great awareness we had built and the huge experience and learning that we had gathered from testing different sport-based approaches and then other innovations in very different conflict contexts. So it's, it's, it's very much, it's not only been a growth journey, it's very much been a learning journey for all of us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of organizations are often really challenged by that growth. You know, they start as a startup. Uh, they have a lot of moxie. They're able to you know, really rely upon elbow grease. But as they transition to something that requires more entrenched operations, it can be a struggle both operationally and culturally. Uh, what were some of the challenges that you faced in bringing Generations for Peace to the next level? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. As you go through... That evolution of growth, it's the same whether perhaps you're a non-profit organization or a corporate entity, uh, some sort of startup. Um, those uh, evolutionary stages are, are really quite different and require um, different strategies, different organizational structures, and, and actually different mindsets. Um, so I'd say uh, you know, along the way, we've made lots of mistakes. But um, I think one of the things we've come to appreciate is that as we go through that evolution and that that learning journey I talked about, we have to be prepared to make mistakes. And indeed, it's it's in being prepared to make mistakes, to test new things and to experiment uh, and allowing ourselves to fail sometimes. That's where the true learning comes and we can innovate and develop, develop new programs, new methodologies and really achieve greater impact and sustainability. So, I think that you know that attitude um, is really important along that learning journey, and I think one of the you know, if I think back 
to my early days with the organization that, uh, back in 2011, we were a very small team working incredibly hard. And uh, I think all of us suffered for it. The, the pace was really punishing. The workload was enormous. Um, I think all of us were pretty close to burnout. And I think that's also perhaps quite common in the nonprofit world. People are so passionate about their work that you really have to be mindful of, of taking care of each other to ensure the sustainability of, of the organization in that sense as well. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to say that as we grew, things have got a bit easier. We're also taking on more work, so it, it never seems to stop. But at least we're able to share the workload and we've got many people with more diverse skills now. Um, and I'm proud to say that only one staff member who was with us back in 2011 um, has since left uh, as we've grown. So we're pretty proud also of our of our team culture and the way we look after our people and develop ourselves. Yeah, and you're absolutely right that that burnout factor is such a huge issue uh, in the nonprofit sector. What was a critical decision or choice that you made for your organization to pull back from that churning and burning and really level the pace so that you could be more sustainable in your impact? Well, I, I think one, one of the biggest lessons of all is uh, learning how to say no. Um, and in a way, I, I sometimes um, summarize strategic planning as deciding what not to do. And I think that's, that's really important. Um, we, we have huge ambitions. Um, there is uh, you know, almost infinite demand. Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the world of peace building and, and conflict transformation appears to be uh, something of a growth industry. Um, and we actually receive a lot of, in, of demand from around the world um, all the time. It, can we take our programs to new communities, to new continents? Can we partner with other people? So uh, a lot of our challenge is around when to say no and when to say yes, and being really focused on what we must do to achieve our strategic objectives rather than what we would like to do because uh, you know it seems to fit our overall um, passion. So that, I think that's one of the main things. I think the, the second thing I would emphasize is investing in relationships. So I, I've talked about our investment in developing our staff and our volunteers. And then, of course, the, the relationships with our partners and donors are also critically important. So I, I would probably say those two things stand out for me, ruthless prioritization and a strong focus on relationships over time. I like that idea of ruthless prioritization. I think I'm going to start uh, adopting that into my own life. <laughs> Now, one thing you mentioned earlier was really communicating to your staff that it was okay to fail. How do you make your staff comfortable with that idea that we can try and it may not work? Yeah, I think um, you know, when we look at the, the, the qualities that we want in our, in our staff, um, we, we have a, a concept in our team that we call the responsibility ladder. And so successful team members in, in Generations for Peace are able to operate high up that responsibility ladder. And that means that they're able to, to take initiative and to act to solve problems um, within clear parameters with very little supervision. So, uh, you know, that's something that also makes, makes it clear that they do have freedom within those parameters. Um, they can make mistakes as long as they learn from those mistakes. And I think combined with the, the responsibility ladder, the other, the other qualities we're looking for in our team 
are certainly the ability to juggle many tasks at once. Um, no day seems to be a day where you can just sit down and concentrate on one task. There are always many, many different things going on, um, no matter what role you have in, in which department. So that seems to be common. Um, I think also understanding that we are ultimately a volunteer movement. So being able to put our volunteers first and that means we as, as staff members in a small headquarters, we have to be very, very flexible and responsive to our volunteers and to put their needs first. Um, I think uh, another one for us that's really important is the ability to, to show real uh, perseverance and what we would call grit to, to really persevere and find solutions um, not to be overwhelmed by really complex challenges, but to work our way through them and to persevere and to support our volunteers also um, to do that. And I think the last one for us comes back to uh, this learning journey that we are all on. If we, if we recognize it is a learning journey, um, we're operating in a very fast-changing environment, whether it locally or globally. And so we all have to have that hunger to learn, and we need to encourage that learning culture um, in our team and to support the learning and development of our staff and our volunteers. That's critical because if you're not learning, if you're standing still, then you're dead. How do you make sure that your employees remain accountable to these values? Uh, yeah, actually a lot of different ways. Um, we, we do have formal and informal structures for, for performance review um, and uh, the uh, every six months, a uh, staff member goes through that formal staff performance review process. Um, it assesses their performance against their uh, responsibilities in their job description, against uh, specific key result targets that have been set for them for that six-month period, and against our Generations for Peace values explicitly in the staff performance review process. It also has a section on their personal development and learning, um, so that every six months there should be um, targets for that, uh, uh, you know, identifying um, solutions to uh, address particular needs, learning needs that they've identified in the conversation with their supervisor. So I think that's, you know, that's a formal process. It's, um, it, it's really interesting to see how that process has evolved and how the response to that process has, has changed over time as people have become more familiar with it. And particularly in, in a different culture, uh, you know, here in Jordan, such performance reviews um, were certainly not done that way. Um, and over time, they get much more constructive and positive. And really, the, the formality of the process is just to structure really effective conversations amongst our team. And those individual performance reviews also feed into uh, departmental reviews on a quarterly basis, uh, where we all together track our progress towards our annual plan targets. And we, we discuss not just the, the progress and highlights, but also the challenges and you know, any problems we've had along the way. And that helps us then set the priorities for, for the next quarter. So that sort of routine um, in a very formal way, in a much less formal way, every single morning we begin our day with a morning circle where all staff stand in a circle like a like a huddle and uh, we very quickly go around the circle just identifying our top priorities for the day and identifying anything that needs to be coordinated across the team and that really is a way of switching our brains on it's like a like a shot of coffee in the morning 
um, but also making transparent all the incredible work that is going on across the team and supporting that interdepartmental and, and sort of cross-team coordination so that it becomes a, a one-team culture. I think that's really important. Oh, I really like your attention to detail and just providing ownership of these learning goals and making sure that it's very transparent for all of your staff. I think that's so important. And, you know, if the whole Generations for Peace thing doesn't work out, I hope that you write a book. I would buy it. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to your focus on volunteers because that is very unique. Uh, could you let our audience know a little bit more about how that volunteer structure works with regards to your organization? Yeah, sure. So um, we, we are primarily a volunteer movement. So we've got uh, just under 8,900 volunteers now in, in 50 countries. Um, their average age is between 25 and 35. They are all uh, very, very talented people. So they've been selected um, because of the skills and competencies that they have um, when we're starting in a community for the first time, we are deliberately trying to select very, very capable people uh, to be volunteers for Generations for Peace, because the ones in a, in a community who are training for the first time must have the, the skills and capacities and networks and the, the passion and, and drive to cascade their learning, to train other volunteers and really be the catalyst or to, to kickstart um, their own volunteer movement in their local community. So as that cascading process works, we understand that volunteers cannot volunteer forever, but they may be able to spend two, three, four, five years with Generations for Peace. Some of our longest serving volunteers have been with us six or seven years now. Um, but eventually volunteers may go through some life change. They may get married. They may change jobs. They may move city or whatever it may be. And so they may drop off. Um, but if we manage to sustain that cascading model where volunteers have the capacity to train other volunteers and pass on Generations for Peace values, knowledge and skills, then overall their, their cohort of volunteers in their own community continues to grow organically and, and to sustain itself. So that's, that's one of the secrets to our sustainability. I think we shouldn't underestimate the amount of effort that goes into that. And um, I think it's really important for any organization working with volunteers to ensure that you are spending a, a great deal of your energy on thinking about your volunteers, being responsive to them. That means you have to firstly be listening to them and then really responding to their needs, understanding that their needs will also be changing over time. And then you must be supporting them through every step, every challenge that they may face, and then really recognizing and, and celebrating their achievements. And I, th I think the last thing that volunteers also are really appreciative of is opportunities for their own development. So the initial training is only the start of a long journey that they have with Generations for Peace, where they can then get more advanced training, more specialized training, opportunities to attend conferences. Um, just uh, two weeks ago, we had a team of nine Generations for Peace representatives uh, presenting at the UN headquarters in New York. And for some of them, this was, a, this was simply a life-changing opportunity. For one of them, it was their first ever um, plane journey. Um, they'd never been on an airplane before. So, you know, identifying, 
the right volunteers and then really supporting them and supporting their development and appreciating them being flexible and responsive to their demands. That is something we work extremely hard on and we know it's the secret of our success and sustainability. Yeah, something that really intrigues me about your story is that you've constantly placed yourselves in these new environments um, and constantly had to adapt to those new cultures. And I feel that that experience is so true of just what anyone really does in the nonprofit sector, often putting themselves into a community or into an issue that they uh, may be new to or may be foreign to them in some way. How have you approached these changes and these transitions and been successful in your adaptations? Um, that's a, a really interesting question because I, I guess you're right. Everyone working uh, in international development, uh, you know, by definition, um, they tend to be in a career that involves uh, moving a lot, working abroad and working in very diverse and, and often very different cultures um, to their original home culture. Um, I also think people do come into this sector from many di different directions. So it, it's quite possible uh, different people will have different answers to my own. But I, I think for myself, um, you know, I, as, a, as a child, uh, my father was in the army. So we were quite used to moving around uh, a fair amount. And I think um, as, you, uh, as you move, as you travel, um, as you live in different places, um, I think you very quickly learn to adapt and perhaps it's it's that natural experience I had a, a growing up um, that led me to be quite um, I guess quite flexible quite uh, quick to adapt to, in new cultures I think then I, I certainly had a real passion for travel um, and all through my university days every spare minute um, having saved up some money I would be off traveling um, to increasingly sort of more more exotic places um, because I was really fascinated in other cultures. And, and maybe that's something that people working in international development um, have in common, this, this passion for uh, experiencing different cultures and this passion for learning about them and, and really coming into contact with things and um, sort of making comparisons and really learning um, the wonderful diversity that is in the world and doing so in a, in a really humble way and with that kind of learning and curious uh, sort of attitude. Um, and I think if you, if you approach international development work in that way, whenever you enter a community, whenever you move countries to start a new job, you'll find that if you, if you come at it with curiosity, um, with compassion, with interest, and with, with kind of really authentic sincerity, then you will be met with the same curiosity um, and respect. And you'll find that people all around the world are incredibly hospitable and also that you can learn an incredible amount from any person you come into contact with. And I think that's one of the great things about you know, this sort of environment um, where you're every day coming into contact with different people. A lot of people would consider adapting to these new environments to be one of the toughest parts of their job. What's the toughest part of your job? Um, well, funnily enough, I, I don't think it's adapting to the new environments once you've done it a couple of times. I think you, you develop a skill set and you, know, you also develop um, a confidence that carries you from, from one environment to another. Um, I, so I, I, I would say the toughest part of my job is, is something I, I said earlier on. It's this 
idea of saying no um, and, and really being ruthless in prioritization. I think that's every day, that's a very, very tough challenge. And it's a challenge that we all share because we are all passionate about what we're doing and we all want to do more. Um, and so we, we really have to ask ourselves, and I, I'm, I'm really quoting a, a phrase that we use very often in our daily work. You know, is this something we must do? Because if it's not, if it's just something we would like to do, maybe, then the answer has to be no. So it's, it's that level of prioritization that is a, a really tough daily challenge. Um, I think it, just to add one other challenge that I, I suspect many nonprofit organizations also struggle with, and it's a, a tough part um, of the kind of evolutionary development of a nonprofit, and that is thinking about funding and the sources of funding and trying to get a balance between different sources of funding. Uh, firstly, so that you're, you're not overly dependent on a single source of funding because that's very risky. Um, but secondly, balancing between what we call restricted and unrestricted funding. I think many nonprofits um, live almost from hand to mouth from grants that they receive that are just specific for a single program or a single project. And that's fine for the lifetime of that particular grant and the activities that it is funding, but it doesn't allow a nonprofit organization really to plan ahead for the future. And it makes even basic things like human resource planning and hiring of people on, on longer term contracts extremely difficult. So unless you can secure unrestricted funding that allows your nonprofits to really plan beyond those short program or project life cycles, you're going to really struggle to, to break through to that next evolutionary step. Do you have any recommendations uh, from your approach to seeking that unrestricted funding? Yeah, I think you know, it's really the, the same recommendation whether you're seeking restricted or unrestricted funding. Um, you, you've got to have a convincing story. And this, the story has to be a mix of, uh, in simple terms, you know, appealing to someone's head and their heart. So it has to be um, uh, compelling in its data. So you need evidence of the impact and sustainability of your, your work. But I think you also need to appeal to the heart and, and have a, a kind of an emotionally compelling narrative. And, and that's where human impact stories, so providing the data, but then providing a single example of it. Um, and if you can provide that example um, visually, so through video testimony or at least through photos, uh, that's much more emotionally engaging. And I think one of the challenges we've got in communicating today uh, is very short attention spans. And so to cut through to cut through to donors, uh, whether they're governmental donors or an individual donor online, I think those principles still apply. You have to appeal to the head and the heart. Um, I want to wrap up by just some closing thoughts of yours on the nonprofit sector and those who are looking to pursue their role in it. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's currently considering entering the nonprofit sector or maybe uh, debating what their future would look like in it? Uh, one, one piece of advice is tricky. I think um, I would definitely say focus on people and relationships. Uh, if you focus on them, the rest will follow. Um, and I think secondly, I'd, I'd like to come back to this, learn, learn to say no. 
So learn to learn to prioritize ruthlessly and always come back to that question. Um, you know, what must we do to achieve our objectives, not what would we like to do? Amen. Now, for anyone listening today who may want to learn more about Generations for Peace, where should they go? Uh, yeah, please check out our website at uh, www.generationsforpeace.org. Um, and you can click through from there to all our social media. You can, in particular, check us out on our YouTube channel. There's lots of great videos there. Um, but above all, um, just sign up for our e-newsletter. And that's a great way to stay in touch with everything we're doing. Mark Clark is the Chief Executive Officer at Generations for Peace. Mark, thank you. That was absolutely fantastic. My pleasure, Justin. Really great to be with you. Thank you very much. On the next episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I'll be joined by Pat Ross, National Membership Coordinator at Team Rubicon, to discuss his work recruiting veterans to volunteer in disaster response operations around the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And while you're there, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us an honest rating and review. Finally, be sure to connect with us at nonprofitready.org, which offers more than 300 online learning resources to help you develop your career and realize your potential, all 100% free. The Nonprofit Ready Podcast is a production of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. I want to thank our executive producer, Alec Green, our editorial director, Jeanette Lamb, our sound producer, Trung Ngo, and most importantly, you, for helping us to build the Nonprofit Ready community. Learn more about the capacity building programs of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation at csodfoundation.org. Thanks again, and have a great day.